The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian, or priest. This is John Deke speaking. This is Top Up. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Hello, Charlie. And you're drinking tea and I'm drinking beer because we're in two different hemispheres. <laughs> yeah. Also, I've, um, I think I might be stopping drinking for a while. So, yeah, right. Yeah. I've, I've, I just got to the end of a very, very busy year uh, work-wise, but also just it was, it's been a fucking non-stop nightmare for me this year with like you know ill health and a whole bunch of other things and I was just trying to work out how I was going to handle next year which is kind of already shaping to be even more busy than than this year was and I was like how the fuck do I do it and I was looking at like uh you know projects that I could give up you know like what can I stop doing to kind of lessen my load and all the sort of work things or like you know projects I'm doing I didn't really want to stop doing and then I was like the only thing I could really think of was stopping drinking like I was like if I stop drinking that might give me like a couple of hours at night and a couple of hours in the morning of not like feeling shit and probably save me an hour I have to like you know do exercise because I've eaten some shit food the night before because of drinking and so I'm giving it a go I've, I've been such a regular and consistent drinker for I mean, 25 years now and like, you know, when I'm working, like I'll often, you know, we've talked about this before, but like we'll easily mm. drink five or six drinks a night minimum and I just, I, I think I just, I might be done with it for a while. Have you gone, what's the longest you've gone without booze prior to this? Oh, I mean, I don't know, like maybe a week somewhere in between, but I doubt it. I don't even know if there's even been a week. Like probably two or three days in the last, I reckon in the last 10 years, there's probably only been like two or three days every now and again, maybe a week, but I can't, I can't identify or remember when there would have been a week that I didn't have a drink in the last 10 years. So I looked at my face the other day and I was just like, what the fuck is going on with you? You're so old (laughs) and so tired. I had some photos done for my publicity photos and I was like, I've got makeup on and like, you know, they shoot you through like a, you know, beautiful lens and from all the right angles and you're styled and someone's doing your hair and I still looked like shit. And I was like, is this it? Is this what is what is it just this or worse for the rest of my life? And so one of the only things that I can think of that might help is like maybe if I we've got a couple of friends who the best advertisement for giving up booze is one of our friends in particular, Cam Knight. I, I, he's talked about the fact that he's not drinking publicly, so I don't think I'm you know outing him. But he was already a, a good-looking cat. But in like the last year when he hasn't been drinking, <laughs> he looks like. His hotter five-year younger brother. Yeah, I agree. Sorry, I'm nodding. I just realised people couldn't see that. It's true. Yeah, not it's great. true. I, I mean, thought look- it was, I thought we just had a bad Skype connection. I was like, oh, Charlie's <laughs> waiting to hear the end of that. But you were just nodding on a podcast. No, I was just thinking because Cam posted a new photo for his new show, and I thought the same thing. He looked very baby-faced in it. Like I thought it, initially it was an old photo or like a play on you know, something, but no, he just looks good. <laughs> not, not that he hasn't looked good in the past, but he looks like healthy, really healthy. Yeah, he looks amazing. He looks like a dude who is nowhere near our age. Like if you, if you pointed to that in a comedy festival program and you went, oh yeah, that guy's doing a show about what it's like to turn 30, you'd be like, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I've, I've gone a couple of phases where I haven't drunk. The last one obviously was a men's health thing. I, that yep. was like eight weeks. And I probably had like a glass of champagne at a wedding or something, but pretty much was no booze. And it does change a lot of things. Like 
I, I mean, look, I was never a huge drinker to begin with, but I did sort of notice how much more boring social situations <laughs> became when I was like, I'd go to something. It's like, I, I couldn't see the point of going to this thing where I knew that everyone's just going to stand around and drinking. It's like, oh, like I need more of a reason now. Like I didn't I ended up staying home a lot more because it's like, I can't even go out for dinner because I know dinner's going to be drinks and I can't even really eat what's at dinner. But you then sort of find a way, it's like your brain has to rewire and you start thinking, oh, well, you know, maybe I'm viewing it the wrong way. Maybe I'm the one who's thinking, oh, to go to this situation, you have to drink. And it, it, it you will see changes happen, but it's, uh, do you think this is an all or nothing? Is this a tipping point or is this a dipping your toe in? Well, this was an interesting thing about it. So I went a week and a half um, the mm. last sort of week and a half when I was doing the radio and I went, I went a week and a half without having a drink. And then, uh, I got invited to go and see Sir Paul McCartney and, um, mm. I got invited to go in the, in the Melbourne storm super box at Amy park. <laughs> and so it was yeah, one of those, sense. not, it was one of those nights where, you know, like you're literally in a super box, Michael Godinski, who's like the, you know, tour manager of Sir Paul McCartney has popped down to see Sir Paul. And then he pops up to say good day to you. You know, it's like, it's not really the, uh, you know, most gritty and uh, working class of concert experiences. It was a, it was a really <laughs> beautiful night out, you know, watching this amazing musician. Um, but it was also one of those super boxes. We've been lucky enough to be in them for footy games and stuff over the years where they just won't let you finish a drink. Like I went in and like they handed me a beer and I reckon I was two thirds through that beer by the time that the waitress was coming up to me trying to replace that beer. I'm like, I haven't even finished this beer. At least let me, so then you'd almost feel pressured into sculling the last bit of your beer so that you could get the good fresh beer. Then we went out on the balcony to watch the actual concert and I was drinking red wine and I never finished a drink. I never finished a glass of red wine, but I reckon I drank probably two bottles because the concert went for three hours and the waitress would come around and just top up your drink the whole time. Anyway, I decided that night I was going to have a drink because, you know, while you're in that circumstance and it's, you know, all free and looked after, I was like, yeah, why not? And then the next day, and I guess this is the difference, right? I think when you're drinking consistently, a night like that I would have been fine with. But the next day, and I think I'm still suffering from it today. I think I've like had a two or three day hangover for the first time in ages because my body was just like, oh, no, 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 this is poison. It's like, I was like, (laughs) you know that scene from The Princess Bride where uh, uh, Carrie Elwes's character um, defeats uh, uh, Vincini, right? That's what it is, right? By um, drinking the poison. By drinking the poison. And because he's been having a little bit of the poison every day and he's built up a tolerance of the poison. That's that's what happened to me. I, I, I didn't realize that in the past I just built up a consistent tolerance to the poison and then I had one night and I was like, ah, I've been defeated. Is it something that you will think is difficult with like work functions and like weddings or any kind of traditional drinking function you have to go to in the next couple of months? Well, for me, I reckon the big one's going to be work. Like I just can't right. remember the last time where I didn't have a drink at work. Like, you know, you go and do a, po- you know what I'm probably going to do less of? Uh, other people's what? free podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Often when somebody asks me to go and do their live podcast, I'm like, yeah, that'll be fun. I'll go and have a few free beers. I'll talk some yes. shit. It'll be a good See, day See, this out. is a thing. This is what I'm, I'm saying to you. you. Start Once you start ruling booze out of the equation, you start reevaluating those kind of two or three hour nights out. Because it's like, what am I really going to get from this? Like if it's a wedding or something, okay, there's a bigger day. But if it's, let's just catch up for three or four hours. What, you want me to just fucking talk to you? Let alone entertain a group of people. <laughs> fucking hell. And plus, you've got a higher bar for being entertained. Because you're sober. Like the great thing is like, you know, when you're like, you know, two or three drinks in, the, it lowers the bar of what people find entertaining. I get self-conscious still around, we've got um, quite a few friends who don't drink and two of them live in LA and I've caught up with them the last couple of weeks and gone to events where I have been drinking and they haven't. And it is sort of like, I don't know if it's the Catholic guilt in me or something, but like you and I go to the football, it's a few trays. Like, you know, I'd say like, Four trays of beer is probably like a good estimate what we'd get through in a day. Yeah. And so we're talking you and we're talking trays on the back of Utes. <laughs> <laughs> Brought to you by Holden. <laughs> <laughs> 
but you know that would that's a sort of regulation day at the footy whereas i'm with these guys and i just i i, I feel they're not judging me they're not doing anything but i suddenly don't have an enabler or a buddy who's up for another one. So like it just sort of stops there. So I think, well, maybe that's good. Maybe my shame is a good sort of stopgap for me. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how it's going to go. But I, I, you know when sometimes you just feel like, I, I certainly got to the point, and I think because my health was so bad this year and I've been trying to concentrate on fixing that. One of the things that's terrible for, you know, my hips and my back and stuff is is drinking. It, it You know, right. it's why... Inflammation. You know, it's why, yeah, and it's why athletes aren't meant to fucking drink when they're in recovery, right? That's the big thing. If you're recovering from an injury, it slows the recovery from an injury. So I kind of feel like if I want to have a serious look at like managing my health, at least in a way that I can live my life, then maybe I kind of have to experiment with the idea of, you know, not drinking or at least not drinking for, you know, a substantial period of time to see if it makes a difference. And I guess if it doesn't make a difference, fuck it, I'll get back on the booze. <laughs> I, I mean, I, my hurt. big fear is that I stop being funny, right? That's the big fear right. is that, that, you know, I've used alcohol, I think in the past is probably, you know, to relax me, you know, to kind of get me into a zone where I can just then, you know, perform and, you know, relax on stage and just, you know, kind of communicate to the audience that I am having a, you know, relaxed and good time. And that's the best way to do it. I guess that mm. like my fear or my worry is that, like, you know, that without that, that I might not have that same level of relaxation on stage, I guess. Yeah, I get that. I mean, I, I, I think that anything that's a habit, anything that you do every day or put into your body each day that you don't need, it's a crutch of some kind. Like, I don't necessarily know you need to get rid of all of them at once, but I think that if you have one in particular, then it can't hurt just to take a break from that, just to oh. sort of drop the crutch and see if you can still walk. And by the way, I've got another four pretty solid ones, <laughs> you know, like. I'm not going crazy. Fucking hell. <laughs> this, is not a, this is not a clearance sale. This is not all yeah. addictions have to go. <laughs> I'm, just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying we've discounted one item and we're trying to yeah. have a stock cake clearance of that one, a stock cake clearance, cake being one yeah. of the other ones. <laughs> yeah. it's a, what I'm saying is it's a 10% discount on all my vices. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Will's Black, Black Friday. Yeah. I feel like it's just like, you know, it's a, what was that little uh, children's rhyme? There's, you know, one in the bed and the little one said, roll over. I feel like alcohol is on the corner of the bed. And if I want to allow <laughs> other things into the bed and we have to roll over, then alcohol needs to fall out of the bed, which is something that alcohol is very good at doing. Yeah. You've got to sit down with alcohol, maybe at a, like a public cafe. So alcohol doesn't make too big a scene. Just say, hey, look, you know, it's been great, 25 years, and, you know, you've been there for the good times, you've been for the, there for the bad times, but, you know, I just think it's, I think it's time I see other drugs. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, I will say this, like, it, and this isn't kind of the main reason, but it's certainly a contributing factor as well. I had two times in the last, oh, I mean, 18 months, 24 months, two times where I had, for the first time ever in my life, kind of blackout, drunk, I can't remember experiences. And whether that was right. either that I overestimated, you know, my capacity for drinking or that, you know, I'm getting older and my body's changing or whatever. And like, you know, or wh whatever it was, I don't like the idea that I can't remember something that I did. Because I think that, you know, in this age of responsibility for your own actions, you're still going to fuck shit up, Right. Like you're still going to get things mm -hmm. wrong, but at least if you're cognizant and you can remember what you've got wrong or what you've got right or whatever, then that's something that you can deal with. But to me, what is terrifying is not being able to remember something like, you know, having a patch of your night or your day or whatever it was. Like, I mean, I, I told the story about getting on the plane in Bermuda, like, you know, I just can't remember whole hours of like, you know, getting on a plane, going through an airport, these sort of things. And to me, that is... That's one of those things where I've always had an attitude to like drugs and alcohol of like, you know, it's fine to do them until the moment that it, you know, it becomes a problem. And mm. I feel like twice, like, you know, in the last couple of years, which doesn't seem like a lot, but seems like a lot to me. There's twice that I have had experiences where I can't remember two or three hours of, you know, something that happened. And I, I don't like that. You don't think that maybe you've in those two or three hours, you were snatched into a parallel dimension? 
Well, I mean, I, well, but I'd like to remember that. But my, <laughs> that's my point, Charlie. If I was snatched into a parallel dimension, I don't want to fucking not remember because I was blind on mid-strength beer from having 20 of them at the footy, you know? Like, imagine, Can you imagine if that? it was my... My three-hour yeah. window, I got snatched into a parallel dimension. I was taught the mysteries of the universe, and I can't fucking remember because of my 18th mid-strength Carlton. <laughs> and to make matters worse, it was the night that Bob Murphy did his knee. You were upset already. It had been a shit night. You get snatched into a parallel dimension. Don't even remember it because you're blind right. on bloody mid-strength. <laughs> It'd be just amazing if they snatched me into this parallel dimension. They've been listening to the podcast. They know our obsession with the idea of multi-worlds. And they've finally, you know, decided that they will give me a glimpse into that universe. And essentially, the whole time, I'm just blind drunk and asking where the toilet is. <laughs> Snoring. <laughs> like, you're in, you're in the upside down. Like, you've been snatched off Spencer Street. It's the upside down Spencer Street. And you're pissing in an alleyway as these beings from a parallel dimension are trying to explain the secrets of the universe. Yeah, and the piss is going into my own face because I'm not used to being upside down. I'm bubbling myself. I spend three hours in a parallel dimension bubbling in myself. Your own face. And then they just return me back home. And I miss the whole thing. Mr. Anderson, you don't understand. We have something to... Is he pissing in his own face? Yeah, he's been doing it for hours. <laughs> for hours. He had 24 mid-strength Carlton's. <laughs> yeah, you know what? You're making a good argument for not drinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, imagine if what... you made that, uh, that argument to a counsellor. Like, you know, that sort of thing of just going up to someone and going, well, the reason I feel like I needed to stop drinking was I blacked out one night and um, I'm worried that if in that time I was snatched into an alternate reality, an upside down reality, I would piss in my own face bubbling style and they would be embarrassed about it. And they'd be like, um, maybe you should keep drinking and back out of this office. By the way, I'm not a psychologist. You're drunk. <laughs> this is a KFC and you're pissing in your own face as you're saying that. And you're a vegetarian, so it's weird you're here. Ah, <laughs> uh, I love that. Have you seen um, uh, a movie with Anne Hathaway called Colossal? About no, uh, she plays a, it's she's kind of weird art house film. Jason Sudeikis as well. She plays someone with a drinking problem. She breaks up with her boyfriend and moves back to her hometown. And at the same time as she's having this, uh, you know, this breakdown, this monster appears in Seoul and starts smashing up Seoul. And what she realizes is that every time she gets drunk, the monster manifests in Seoul and like whatever she does in the day, that's what the monster does around Seoul. It's actually, it's pretty good. It's a pretty interesting film, but it really is this, this undertone of just like the because every scene they're drinking, and you know what it's like, we've talked about this before, you watch like Garden State or something that makes you want to take ecstasy, or you'll see some, I'll watch Mad Men and want to have a glass of whiskey and stuff. But this film, they're drinking in every scene, and that becomes the kind of monotony and the burden of the film. That's what you know, she has to break from. And it does make you go, yeah, I mean, I drink at home alone. <laughs> I'm doing it right now, talking to my computer. Maybe I'm going to yeah. quit too. <laughs> Well, you know, the thing is also, I have always prided myself as being a person, and I say this quite often, is that I don't really have an addictive personality. But when I, I, I've not really tested that that much, you know, like it's going, you know, I can do this every day. Hang on. You, I don't have an addictive personality, yet I watched every episode of Smallville right until the end. <laughs> like, yeah, the prosecution I mean, well, this, rests. Well, I guess, and, and but you're right. And, and in the same way as I've been like, drunk nearly every day for 10 years and that, like, you know, I, I smoke most days, you go, well, that's addiction, right? I've always prided myself on the idea that I find it, that I can just stop. I can stop whenever yeah. I want to, right? And that's, I can do this because whenever I want to stop, I can stop. So I'm just, I guess, testing that testing idea that as well a bit to see if that is still the case. Because if that is still the case, then maybe it gives me that sort of idea that, you know, somewhere down the track I might reintroduce a more sort of, you know, interesting and social or whatever aspect to... Because it's not like... I don't think I'm in a position with my drinking where I'm like, I have to stop mm. drinking forever and, you know, I'm never going to drink again. But I would like to know, you know, what my life looks like for a little while without 
you know, without alcohol. I think part of it is I've started this new job where I um, am getting up really early in the morning and I have to work early in the morning. And I've noticed that thing of going, you can fix it. You know, this is what anyone who drinks knows. You can fix it in the morning. You fix it with coffee and food and whatever. But when you're getting up at five and you're starting fixing it at five, you kind of have to keep fixing it throughout the day. And so you realize you're having eight meals and 25 coffees and then starting drinking again because that's the real way to fix it later on in the day. You're actually making me think about my own habits now. And I feel like I've been thinking because the last three weeks that I've been here, because since I got fit, I've been fairly healthy and, you know, regulating, you know, I'll still drink and eat shit and everything, but I'll, I'll regulate it. But since I've been here, because I've been having very repetitive days, I've been creating these little reward cycles where it's like, okay, so get up and go to the gym. That means, you know, you can have this. And then it's okay. You get like eight pages written. Okay. Now you can go down and get this. And I remember reading Ben Cousins autobiography and he talked about the way he was able to compete at the highest level and also do drugs. It was kind of like a a task reward, task reward where he would punish himself on the track. And then if that weekend he got like 30 possessions, he'd reward himself with a couple of bags. And then he'd feel terrible on the Sunday and be like, right, you know, you feel shit. You're going to run like 20 extra laps on the Monday. And then he would get 45 possessions next week, another bag. And then, and that, eventually reaches a point because it becomes a circle where it's unsustainable i'm in that loop right now but mine's mainly like donuts and beers because i'm doing (laughs) uh, i'm still going to the gym i'm still getting my work done but it's with the reward of okay it's 5 p.m you can crack a cold one or whatever it is you know what i mean well ironically i think i might be less productive like normally people when they stop drinking or whatever they become more productive right you've got more hours in your day your mind's clearer I reckon I might become uh, less productive because I do think that sometimes, you know, that idea of high functioning addiction, like yes. that idea that you, you can deny the fact it, it's not a problem for me. It would be a problem for someone else who drank as much as me or smoked as much pot as me or did whatever as me. If they were like sitting around all day watching tally or they couldn't hold down a job or whatever, people would point to, you know, the drinking or whatever else as being mm. the, you know, the reason for that. Whereas like, I've got like, eight jobs like i'm you know reasonably successful i've got a whole bunch of careers i do very well for myself so nobody ever kind of points the finger at you and says you know hey and so i do think sometimes you do those things you're going well i can't be drinking too much look at how well everything's going right so maybe once i stop drinking i'll be like fuck that job what i'm saying is this is the last (laughs) tofu Oh, shit. I want to go out on that. We should. But we're only talking for 23 minutes. That's a great way to end it, though. Oh, my God. It would be interesting. Like, I think eventually, like, every if we were a band, like, you know, it's just like Axel got cleaned up. You know, maybe I'm like fucking slashing duff. I'm still hanging on to the party days and stuff. And eventually you will get annoyed and want to go make Chinese democracy. Your next podcast it is so, will, will take 14 years to record and release. You, you know what it'll be? It'll be my Survivor podcast. Because my Survivor podcast is turning into the podcast world's Chinese democracy. Because about four years ago, I suggested that I might do a Survivor podcast. I even got artwork put together for my Survivor podcast. And then since then, I think there's been at least three or four different seasons of Survivor. And every time there's one, there's at least a couple of people on the internet who hit me up going, is this the year? Is this the year the Survivor podcast is coming out? So I'll like get cleaned up and eventually I'll leave Tofop and I'll go off and do my fucking Survivor podcast and it'll be horrible. It'll be the biggest (laughs) mistake of my entire life. But it's fine because in twenty five in twenty five years we get the old band back together and we do like right. a, a fucking a cash in reunion tour of Tofop. Well, you know the thing is though, I'll have like a, another Charlie, but I'll make him wear a bucket on his head. Bucket on his head. <laughs> <laughs> I had another little uh, excursion this week. I went for the first time to the ice hockey. To the hockey, Charlie. Oh, the hockey, the hockey. Our American listeners will get upset if we say ice hockey because in America it's hockey and uh, the other one is called field hockey. 
So that ain't, when we say ice hockey, it's like us calling uh, American football gridiron. Right. Oh, is that not good either? Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've been offending people at sports bars left, right and centre. They're going to kick me out of Barney's Beanery. <laughs> and what about the hoopy throws? Ben Simmons was doing very well in the hoopy throws. <laughs> I was, I mean, it was a bit like that because I had a very friendly um, Kings fan sitting next to me who was trying to explain the kind of rules. But I don't, it's funny, like I often get annoyed at people when they talk about the AFL and they don't know and they're like, oh, he took a great catch. And I'm like, Ugh, it's a mark. Like, clearly it's a catch, but we've decided to call it a, a, a mark. Yeah. Same thing, like, I'm like, oh, that guy just like, you know, uh, that guy just like a, a hip and shoulder, that dude. I know he checked him. Oh, okay, check. But everything I said must have sounded like, you know, some monkey you're just teaching English to. It is funny though, isn't it? Because he did the same thing. We just call it a different word. That's all it yeah. really is. Yeah, interesting I, thing that I learned about the hockey, Charlie. Uh, you yes. might be interested in this. Every single one of the coaches in the, uh, in the hockey league uh, were appointed coaches after having a drink driving conviction. And the judge, to teach them a lesson, uh, made them uh, hockey coaches. Uh, you slowed down for the last... I, I didn't hear any of that. Can you say it again? The most coaches in hockey are what? Most coaches in the, uh, in the hockey league, uh, this is absolutely true, uh, were appointed after getting drink-driving convictions and the judge, uh, instead of putting them in prison, made them hockey coaches. <laughs> it was worth it. <laughs> you know, you know it's funny? When you started by saying, hey, do you know an interesting fact about hockey... I immediately thought Mighty Ducks, but I bit my tongue. <laughs> and I'm glad yeah. that you took the long run up. <laughs> big happy Gilmore type swing at it. Not sure if you connected, um, but... Did they have a fight? Uh, there was a bit of push and shove. There was not one of those, uh, let's stop and, and do the punching. But I loved it, man. I actually... Here's the thing. They do not let you rest for a second there like they don't want you getting bored not for one second there is so much music and lights and dancing and fan interaction and kiss cam and dance cam and t-shirts and dancing girls and shit like that like it is like having a shot of like adrenaline straight to the heart and then going into this it felt like it was the future you going into this space station where these people are gliding around on skates and stuff and they're just constantly blasting music at you the thing is didn't need it. Like, what was happening on the ice was fucking incredible. I was so... I loved it. I, I just thought it was amazing. It's, it's so tough and skillful, and there's a great game. It was like 3-0 went into overtime, and then it was like a score in overtime. Golden goal. It was great. It's an amazing um, game to watch live. That's what I found. I, I tried to watch a bit of it on the TV after I'd gone and seen it live and struggled a little bit with it. But mm. live, I mean, firstly... They're the guys who could play AFL. Like, you know, it, they've got the similar builds, kind of it has that similar sort of toughness that we enjoy about AFL that they can come at you from everywhere. But they're doing it on ice skates. One of the things that I find most amazing about it is just how quickly they get up. Like, uh, well, I, I well, 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 they don't say ice skates. They say skates. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, in America, he was just called Vanilla. And so... <laughs> Uh, so just how quickly they get up. Because some of these guys are six 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 eight, and they're on skates and they just like, they fall down and they're just back up again. Like it's I can't even get up properly. insane. Like if you tried to design the most unsafe sport in the world, you'd say, let's get the hardest, most slipperiest surface, put razor blades on people's feet and give them sticks to, to fly at each other with. Like, the fact, because the first hit I saw up against the glass, like I jumped, it was so full on. And then it's just like clockwork. And those guys don't budge an inch. I, I kept asking the guys I was with, it's like, how much padding are they wearing? Because they're fucking hitting the ice. They're bouncing off the wall. One of them got flipped over the wall. It's incredible. It's like the WW, it's WWF and AFL in the most dangerous conditions on earth. It's the world's greatest sport. I'm convinced. Yeah. I mean, I'm amazed that there isn't like at least one death by slicing a season. There, like is always... a, there is a video online of a guy getting his throat cut, a goalie. Some dude slips on the ice and his throat gets cut and like he's like stumbling across the ice and he's bleeding out. It's full on. But yeah. Well, I just imagine that dead. would happen every single game. Yeah. 
Especially if I was playing, because I am Anka. <laughs> I'd be skating it, dude, skate like blade first all the time. I remember actually, friend of the show, Michael Chamberlain, uh, he and I were at a, a party when we were about 12, and the parents took us ice skating, and I got a head of steam up, I was going around and around, and Michael was standing at the wall talking to someone, and I floored him, and I didn't know how to stop, so I just raised my skate and literally, bang, like smashed it into his knee. Like, he, it blew up like a, a grapefruit. He was limping for like a good month after that. Maybe you should get recruited for one of the teams, and that's your tactic. They yeah. just send you out to Unko up. The Kamikaze. The <laughs> <laughs> but Kamikaze not you're the, you're the Domikaze. <laughs> could you call me, if you called me Kamikaze Clawson, but you spelt Clawson with a K, I could be KKK. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't thought this through, Charlie. No, no, no. It's my marketing idea. <laughs> so you want to own up to this? Yep. It's tell tell everybody it's my idea. Kamikaze Clawson. <laughs> K K K. Um, so I was disappointed there was no fight though, because that to me was still the highlight of the thing. The idea that there is a sport where amongst all that, you can still gloves off each other and just challenge each other to a fight. But you, here's the thing. You don't like boxing. You don't like UFC, but you'll watch a bit of an NHL, NHL punch up. Yeah. I don't mind people playing another sport punching. I, I don't like sports where the idea of it is the punching, but I don't mind if some punching breaks out in the midst of another sort of game. But... If you take a if you if you go to the micro level, that contest mm. between the two guys punching is all about the punching. It's not about like, you know, throw hockey pucks at each other till one of you falls down. It's like punch each other until one of you falls down. Okay, here's what I would say is that like I, I can't remember who did this joke. There used to be a comedian who said they'd enjoy boxing more if you had the sort of backstories of like you know before they got into the ring, and I think that is a bit what I'm like. In the context of a game, that fight is integral to the plot of the game, right? So it's not its own event. Like, I, you know, I like the idea. I, if, if Conor McGregor... <laughs> Go on, all right. No, this is some fucking slippery politician doublespeak, like in the no, wider context of the, the specific battle you're watching in that moment is can one guy dominate another guy physically with his fists? Boxing is that just over 12 rounds. Yeah, but boxing is just that. That's my point. I'm saying I don't mind a little... Oh, okay, I'll give you a movie example, right? I don't mind an action scene or a fight scene in a movie. Like, you know, there's a couple of good action scenes in, you know, the Nolan Batman movies. But if they were Zack Snyder style, just action or Michael Bay style action from start to finish, that is completely unsatisfying for me. That's boxing right. and UFC. But if in the middle of, like, something else that I'm enjoying, there's a little fighting... I am fine with that. But it's got to be plot-driven. It's got to be motivated by the thing around it. But don't, don't ESPN, when they're promoting like fights and stuff, they do that. You can watch like half-hour documentaries on each fighter before they get into the ring. So you can you get can. that backstory. You can, but you don't have to. It's not the actual whole event, right? Like, okay. I want it all to happen enclosed in that, like, night. If it happened in that night, so if you, like, you see Conor McGregor and fucking whoever, like, Floyd Mayweather, and, like... <laughs> all right, the first... Okay, let, I'm pitching a new sport to you, a new combat sport. Right. You get a bunch of kind of, like, angry, fighty dudes, and you put yeah. them in a pen, right? Maybe you simulate a bar situation or something like that. But... You know, they just come in there and, and there's maybe there's girls, maybe there's not, but they just sort of shuffle around until a fight starts because one of them has an issue with another one. So we film all that. And so you can get like, oh, that guy, you know, he, he stepped on my toe, didn't apologize or whatever. They that guy gets selected. We put him to the ring and then we can watch the fight. And it all happens within like three hours. Would you be okay with that? Yeah, it's the equivalent of like, <laughs> let's take this outside. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, so whatever moment in the night where someone says, let's take this outside. In fact, let's maybe we, maybe we could call the sport, let's take this outside. So you put yes. all these angry people in a bar situation with a series of things that might trigger them off. Like you said, an <laughs> argument over a pretty girl, a game of pool, someone spills someone else's drink, you know, that sort of thing. And then at some stage, when motivated appropriately, someone says, let's take this outside. Everyone starts screaming. You go outside, there's a whole stadium full of people ready for the fight. 
And the great thing is, is you can have refs in the bar scenario who will adjudicate whether or not the provocation warrants going outside. Yeah. So that stops dickheads coming in and just picking fights for no reason. Like, yeah. it would be good if maybe you pick, you pick groups that have history. So maybe it's like, you know... Uh, you know, rival colleges or families or whatever it is. And so people with actual history, because then an argument will have to start prior to the, the violence. So we can then hear them argue over whatever family or, 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 or like fraternity beef they have. And then we can watch them. This is actually not bad. I, I'm starting to come around to your idea that violence with context is entertainment, but violence on its own is not. And I like the idea that you let the contestants create because, like, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you want to get invited to go outside, right? So you've got a series of people <laughs> who want to, you know, be the one who gets to go outside and fight for the title, right? So you can let them do stuff before that night that brings in anger to the bar. So, for example, if you're dedicated enough, you could, say, rip off someone in their business or you could go around and have sex with their wife or their husband. You know, you could, like, really do something that comes into the bar with a bit of motivation so you could start the fight. Yeah. Yeah, that's what you need. Just a, 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 a bit of history. So you could, you know what? This is just merging. The only two things, Will, that are keeping free-to-air TV alive is live sport and reality shows. We're fucking merging right. the two. It's basically The Bachelor at some mansion where you put a bunch of dickheads. And then we get a fight that night. And the great thing is, one fight per night. In fact, they kind of did this with that, I think it was called The Boxer or it was Sylvester Stallone had a had like a reality show and it was a mansion filled with boxers and you know, they're training and their beefs and stuff. And then they'd be forced to fight each other, but they were forced to fight each other based on rankings or random picks or whatever. But this it's like, yeah, just get those drunk bogans together. Like with preferably with some history. And then we've got one, two, we can sell this over eight well, nights. <laughs> you know what the thing is, Charlie, you could actually just combine it with a series of the bachelorette, right? Like, say, say, for example, when Sophie Monk was filming The Bachelorette, right, you've got 20 young, fit guys in a house, and most yeah. of the time, if they're not on a date with Sophie or they're in between filming, they've just got a lot of downtime and a lot of testosterone. So we could actually yeah. feel, like, we could film Let's Take This Outside in conjunction with The Bachelorette. So essentially, you're looking for them to have beefs within the house and take, taking it outside, you know, on yeah. off nights. Yeah. Yeah, the ba the Bachelor presents. Let's take take this outside. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's how we do. It's the just like a sideshow. Yeah, I love it. I think it's great, and I think also too that you can have kind of like you can have subcategories for like, or, or maybe red cards for like if it looks like it's it's violence, but you can adjudicate that's actually homoerotic tension, <laughs> like it's two dudes you know puffing the chest out because they're actually in love with each other. Maybe it'd be like a show where like, essentially, and I, I mean, the logistics of this would be hard to arrange, but like it's kind of a pop-up show. So uh, let's take it, this outside can pretty much arise in any situation that is like being filmed. So for example, during a presidential debate, say you had Donald <laughs> Trump and like, you know, Ben Carson, Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders up there on stage debating each other. At some stage, one or the other of them could go, you know what? I don't think we can solve our differences through words. <laughs> Let's take this Let's outside. Take outside. And the crowd goes wild. And then suddenly we're outside oh. and ready for it to go. Well, this gets even better because we can actually just identify famous feuds, beefs, conflicts, and then like arrange a party. So, you know, oh, like, uh, uh, like who, who's, a fa who's famously feuding at the moment? What celebrities? It's like, uh, like uh, uh, yeah, The Rock and that other dude, Tyrese from uh, Fast and the Furious. Apparently they don't like each other. Oh, yeah, good. Okay. So... We have a Fast and Furious theme thing where we get all the cast together and stuff and we get The Rock and Tyrese together. Although, who's stepping outside with The Rock? <laughs> like, that, well, wasn't, that, there, that, wasn't there an argument that The Rock was feuding with both Vin Diesel and Tyrese? Ah, oh, okay, that evens, yeah, that, that levels the playing field a bit. I love yeah, this. So there you go. <laughs> Vin Diesel and Tyrese against The Rock in a celebrity let's take this outside. So I think what we're inventing, Will, is called professional wrestling. <laughs> yeah, but it's not, it's not set up like that. It's kind of like, a, and, it's, and it's the same rules as UFC. You can, you know, basically murder them. Well, actually, you know what? Could we do it in a way that is more like professional wrestling where it's not actual, like, physical violence, but they... They take each other on 
in a professional wrestling sense where there's like suplexes and power bombs and all that kind of shit nah because we already have professional wrestling and it has storylines i want something that like the ufc has just kind of gone with the fighting aspect they've tried to put storylines around it but i like the idea of us incorporating like you said what we're really looking for is an integration into real life experiences. So I yes. just think that we take the biggest shows on television, anything that where people might have a feud, like it, <laughs> it could be an episode of Top Chef. It could be an episode of like, you know, Dancing with the Stars. You just <laughs> never know when there's going to be a let's take this outside. And I think it, it's, it's better. You can have celebrity ones like, yeah, two chef shows or whatever. But I think the staple of it is ordinary people. Because I think that's the appeal of reality TV is finding out like dirty laundry about people who could live next door to you. So I think we do 22 episodes of that a year. <laughs> and then we do like a short run celebrity special, like six weeks after that. Ah, and then we sell it, the concept around the world, and we, we retire. You can start drinking again. I think you're right. You have, to, you have to build up like an underground following of it first. So you start with ordinary people because ordinary people are much more likely to get into the idea of it too, right? But yeah. it builds an underground thing. Then maybe you do a, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. Let's take this outside. Because you're already yeah. outside anyway. So a bit of jungle fighting would make that more exciting. And then you yeah. gradually build it up to the top <laughs> echelons of like, you know, celebrities getting involved and let's take this outside. So we originally started saying though that you sort of handpick punchy blokes. But are we now saying it's just open slather? It's just any gripes? Yeah, but they have to be kind of evenly matched-ish. Yeah. Like that, you know, you can't have yeah, like... You, you, can't, you, know, you can't have some dude like taking on his grandma because <laughs> he just hates his grandma. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It can't be an episode of like, you know, uh, little big shots and there's some six-year-old on stage and uh, Shane Jacobson doesn't like his idea and goes, kid... Let's take this outside. <laughs> and then Kenny just beats the shit out of a six-year-old. No. Oh, God. As the, as the dad from Hey Dad said, kid, let's take this outside. <laughs> oh, my God. Kenny killed someone. <laughs> yeah. Now, this... Uh, I mean, we joke about a lot of things in this show, but I, I, I think this, this, we could sell this concept. I don't know how. Like, I don't know what kind of... I mean, how do you get ordinary people to fight? That have to be all medical kind of evaluations beforehand and stuff. Like, you can't just randomly like to throw people in a ring unless they've all passed a, a medical, right? Well, not in Australia, but there's some countries that don't have the same strict liability <laughs> that we do. It's why they film all those fucking wipeout shows in countries that have no public liability insurance laws. You know, so we'll just find some fucking island with no rules and we'll film it there. Yeah. I love it. We'll shoot in the coming to you from the Philippines. <laughs> <laughs> Would we host it? Oh no! I just think we want to be that because look, Charlie. Oh, you know what? No, we don't. Want, we no, won't host, but we can Simon Cowell it. I reckon there'd be a yeah. judging panel because after each fight, we have to reward points. But it's not like the boxing where we just like hold up a number and award points. We give like an idol style <laughs> critique of the fight. Well, not just the fight. But the motivation for the fight, you know, the instigation yeah. of the fight, like, because for us, it's about more Frankly, than I found it's, this boring. Right. I, I really felt like this, this wasn't a good enough reason for a fight. I didn't feel like the fighters' hearts were in it. Somebody opened the other person's mail. Is this really what we're looking for in a fight? I don't think so. I just want one of those chairs that spins around. Yeah, yours will spin around constantly, though. We're going to get you a chair <laughs> that only spins around, so you're constantly <laughs> rotating while you're giving your criticism. The dizzy judge. <laughs> yeah, you're like it's, you're on a gravitron, and you're just occasionally <laughs> giving commentary or vomiting. And if I vomit, and now at, to the vomiting judge. If I vomit though, but that triggers a wild card round. <laughs> the crowd goes wild. Yes. So in this tofop, we have you pissing in your own face and me vomiting on myself. Yeah. It's a classy podcast. Have at it, psychologists. Uh, so apart from the uh, hockey, what else have you been up to in uh, the well, City I'm, of Angels? Uh, well, tell us about the fires. Yeah, well, to be honest, I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't seen or heard much about it besides what everyone else has been reading. You can't see him from West Hollywood. But Jem's um, been travelling to work each day and, and she said it's... And it's it's full on. 
Uh, you've seen the, the footage right of the 405, which was pretty, pretty much shut down. Yeah, it was a, like, I mean, it looked terrifying. I, mean, I know a lot of houses have been burnt down and stuff like yeah. that. But I well, it's been a pretty, was the city covered in smoke and stuff? Not, not, not so bad over here. I think it's more towards the valley, but um, you're hearing fire trucks all the time. So, because another fire started near the Getty, but they think that was that was maybe arson. Right. What is it about arsonists? Like a fire starts and then they get all like uh, turned on and stuff. They get a boner and then they run down. And they want to light a fire as well. Is that what happens? Fire turns. I think the one so. Like- I mean, I think a lot of it is kind of a bit. There's some sort of connection to sort of sexual motivation, isn't there? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Have you have you have you watched Mindhunter on Netflix? Oh yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah. That's yeah. I'm like, where am I getting this information? Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. That TV show I've been watching. Oh, don't worry, dude. I finished that show two weeks ago. I'm a fucking basically. I'm a qualified psychologist now. <laughs> I've been fucking parroting information from that show as if I wrote it. <laughs> it's good though. Yeah, but I mean, imagine a serial killer episode of Let's Take This Outside. <laughs> oh yes. That's like right. Two serial killers against each other. One one serial killer takes on another serial killer in a let's take this outside. And that's to the death because that no yep. one's going to be upset to see one of them finish. Well, that's the, the death row version of let's take this outside can be fights to the death. In fact, maybe that's how we can pitch it early on. We find people who are on death row who are going to be killed yeah. anyway. And we pitch them the idea of going, well, you know, you have this chance. In fact, this is how we yeah. could actually pitch it in the first place is Fights to the death, but the winner gets to not be put to death. <laughs> Yay, just lifetime in prison. <laughs> Still better than death. <laughs> and to make it more exciting for the audience, of the guys who have selected from death row, one of them is actually innocent. <laughs> <laughs> just put a little, uh, a little bit of spice on that meatball. <laughs> Well, maybe that, that'd be the plot of your movie that you'd make about it, right? If you're in some fu- futuristic prison where, uh, you know, sort of your running man style or whatever, they take death row inmates and they make yeah. them fight to the death. This actually lo- feels like a movie that could be made, right? So it's mm-hmm. some sort of, you know, near future where they've decided, you know, in a way of like cashing in on the UFC, but also they've got all these people on death row, that they yeah. give people the opportunity it's a tournament, like blood sports style, and the yeah. one person left gladiators. standing, yeah, gets to like you know, yeah, okay. So it's a modern day gladiators with people on death row, right? It's giving yeah. into the bloodless. We're letting these people fight to the death, but there's one innocent man on death row, and his only chance of like yeah, getting out to see his family again is to kill all the other like. And so you kind of you know barracking for him through the whole thing. So you're pitching me Russell Crowe's Gladiator, only he gets to see his family again. <laughs> yeah, uh, only on death row in a post-apocalyptic future. I guess I am. But still, that was a really good movie. Like, made heaps of money and won some Oscars. So I feel like this is a really good pitch. I did feel like it's the Gladiator ice ho- meets Dead Man Walking. I did feel like the ice hockey was futuristic, though. Like, I'm sure there was, like, wasn't there, a, a, like, a cheesy 70s film with James Kahn that's, like, Death Ball or something where they're all, like, on roller skates and they're all, anything goes, like, you can stab and maim and kill. And, uh, was it called Murder Ball? No. Murder Ball. Death Ball? Death Race. Who death was in balls. it? James Kahn. Speedball. No. Death Balls. Feel my death, death balls. Death balls? Death Valley Days? No, James Kahn, right. uh, Speedball. Michael, can you look it up for Will? <laughs> no, he's not drunk. Uh, murder Ball. Properly. It was called Murder, murder Ball. No, it wasn't called Murder Ball. Yes, it was called Murder Ball. No, because they, no, they, they did a remake with Chris Klein in like the mid-2000s. Oh, Rollerball. Ball. What's okay. Murder Ball? That sounds much cooler. <laughs> <laughs> all right okay well i i what's I, murder, put what's, murder, what's murder ball? ball well it says it's about murdering the 2000s murder ball okay rollerball okay well, hang on. now what's the plot of rollerball okay yeah let's find it rollerball and they did a remake with i remember the kid from american pie and someone oh yeah in 2002 they did a remake chris yeah. klein gene reno ll cool j 
and yeah. Rebecca Raman, uh, Naveen Andrews. But here we go. Rollerball, 1975. Uh, what's, what's, what's this eerie vision of the future? Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll give you the plot of Rollerball. The premise, in the film, in the... Oh, how's this? In the film, the world of 2018. <laughs> so... It's set in next year. So let's get a little insight into what they thought next year would be like in uh, 1975 or whatever it was. Uh, Yeah, 1975. So uh, referred to in the tagline as the not-too-distant future. So that's where my movie is going to be set as well, the not-too-distant future, uh, is a global corporate state containing entities such as the Energy Corporation, a giant global energy monopoly based in Houston, which deals with nominally peer corporations controlling access to all transport, luxury, housing, communication, and food on a global basis. So, essentially Amazon. Pretty accurate. Essentially Amazon or Apple or Tesla. Yeah, basically they, they nailed the idea that corporations would be running the world by the year 2018. Uh, Rollerball is a violent, globally popular sport around which the events of the film take place. It is similar to roller derby in that two teams clad in body armour skate on roller skates. Right. Some instead ride on motorcycles. <laughs> How around... do you get that job? No, oh, I, mean, that. I feel like <laughs> that's a major exception to the rule. Or maybe around I think... A bank... I... I think the motorbikes are so you can get tow and so you can get up to speed. I don't think you can just go around plowing into people on your motorbike. Right. Uh, Around a bank circular track. Uh, There, however, the similarity ends. The object of the game is for the team in possession of the ball to score points by throwing a softball-sized steel ball into the goal, which is a magnetic cone-shaped area inset into the wall of the arena. The team without possession of the ball is defensive and acts to prevent scoring. Okay, yeah, well, that makes sense. The ball is put into play by fired out of a cannon at the top (laughs) of the track. Rollerball is a full contact sport in which players have considerable leeway to attack opposing players in order to take or maintain possession of the ball and score points. In addition, each team has three players who ride motorcycles to which teammates can latch on and be towed. Well done, Charlie. The player in possession of the ball must hold it in plain view at all times. Now, so far, this seems like a pretty normal game. Like, it doesn't seem that outrageous that rollerball would be a game. Um, Rollerball teams, named after the cities in which they are based, are owned by the various global corporations. Again... Like, I mean, this is pretty much... They have nailed the year 2018, pretty much. Energy Corporation sponsors the Houston team. They appear to be various divisions or classes of teams, as with soccer or baseball. Um, blah, blah, blah. Oh, the game is a substitute for all current team sports, so it's the only sport left. <laughs> it's the only and one left. warfare. <laughs> all right, well, maybe... Can't get, can't, get, can't get them all right, not Nostradamus. Okay, well, here's, here's the, the actual plot. James Kahn is the veteran star of the Houston Rollerball team. He has become the sport's most recognisable and talented player. After another impressive performance against Madrid, Mr. Bartholomew, John Houseman, chairman of the Energy Corporation, announces that Jonathan will be featured in a multivision broadcast about his career. Bartholomew tells Jonathan that he wants him to retire. He offers the rollerballer a lavish retirement package if Jonathan makes the announcement during the special. He then preaches the benefits of the corporate-run society and the importance of respecting executive decisions, never explaining why he must retire. Jonathan refuses and requests to see his former wife, Alla, Maud Adams, who had suddenly been separated from him without explanation by the corporation. Okay. Mm. Again, good backstory, though. Uh, Suspicious of a forced retirement, he goes to a library. Okay, well, that one. They didn't know that. No. The idea that there'll still be libraries that people go through <laughs> and ask for books, <laughs> weird, about the corporation and history. He finds all books have been edited by energy and are now stored on supercomputers at large protected company locations. Fuck. They really okay, so have... <laughs> they got, the, they got the, the mechanics wrong, but the overall idea of censorship and the you know, net neutrality, right. they got right. And again, if this company was, say, Amazon, who now own Audible the biggest audiobook supplier in the entire world. They haven't got it far wrong. Rollerball degrades into senseless violence as the rules are changed to force Jonathan out. Oh, okay, here we go. So that's why it gets more... Uh, Houston's semi-final game against Tokyo has no penalties and only limited substitutions. The brutality of the match 
kills several players. (laughs) (laughs) Including Houston's lead biker, Blue. Jonathan's best friend and teammate, Moon Pie, is left in a vegetative state. Despite the Hang on. Blue, Moon Pie, and Jonathan. (laughs) How come Jonathan don't get a nickname? Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, despite the violence, Houston is victorious and will play New York for the championship. I love the American focus of this. They play all the different countries in like the preliminaries and the semis, but it's two American teams that made yeah, the fucking finals. This is the yeah, world mate. championship for rollerball, motherfucker. Yeah. Uh, you're the only country that plays it. Uh, okay, here we go. Uh, Bartholomew hosts an executive teleconference to discuss the game's future. They decide the Houston-New York game will be played with no penalties, no substitutions, and no time limit in the hope that Jonathan, if he decides to play, will be killed during the game. Okay, just pause for a second. So far, you have described something that sounds like pretty much a sports film. It's just that these guys have decided to invent a I mean, a it sport. is a sports like, film, basically, The right? degree of difficulty on making that work is pretty amazing. Like they could have just picked any sport and made it about a guy like a, a former champion who's been forced into retirement. But these guys said, you know what would be amazing? If we do this on skates, man. Like, there's been nothing about... I thought it was going to be a lot more brutal, a lot more dystopian, but it sounds pretty run-of-the-mill. Like, it, it really could be about any sport apart from the two guys dying, I guess. Yeah, well, the dying bit. That's the... I guess that's the bit that makes it brutal. That's the dystopia. Um, uh, they reveal why Jonathan must retire. Rollerball was conceived not only to satisfy man's bloodlust. Okay, so this is the argument that people make for things like UFC, right? We get our bloodlust out through this sport and rather than taking it out on each other. But to demonstrate the futility of individualism. So it's the corporations telling us that they don't want us to be individuals. They want us to be an unthinking mass so that the rich can control the rest of society. Charlie, they have nailed this future. <laughs> they have really fucking... This is, why didn't people watch Rollerball? I'm going to become a Rollerball fucking truther. Rollerball <laughs> has fucking nailed the future in a way that Terminator did it. It fucking nailed it. After six, unsuccessfully making his way to Geneva to access supercomputer stored books, Jonathan <laughs> receives a visit from Ella, who has been sent to convince him to retire and to make it clear the coming game will be... To the death. Oh. Jonathan decides. How how does that work? Like every player has to die or just last man standing? Well, it just means, uh, uh, I don't know. It just means, yeah, we'll get to it, I imagine. Jonathan decides, despite the dangers, that he will play. The final quickly loses all semblance of order as the players players are injured or killed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the, the crowd, ecstatic at first, gradually becomes more subdued as the carnage unfolds. And He's already game... dead. <laughs> this is not as... This is... I brought my children. <laughs> I mean, we like violence, but this is full on. The carnage I kill unfolds two or three game... guys, but don't kill any more than that. Two or three, that's my limit, mate. I mean, it's just not really forward thinking for the future of the league either, is it? But anyway. (laughs) Wipe out your best players. Imagine if the AFL came up with that. They were just like, we're going to have our first night grand final. And in a real ratings boost, it's going to be to the death. (laughs) Look, we've heard your complaints about the International Rules Series. So we've got a new one. It's called (laughs) Let's Take It Outside, AFL edition. I see, but that would be great. Let's take it outside AFL edition, right? So the AFL don't want the fighting in the game anymore. But if you could, during a game, sub two guys out for a let's take it outside in the car park. (laughs) Maybe they broadcast it on the screen. So there's two guys in their boots, like in their boot socks, still in their uniform, just bashing each other in the car park. And it's like on the big screen while the game continues. Um, Every now and then in the 80s in the wrestling, there would be something would happen in the Royal Rumble where two uh, wrestlers would eliminate each other at the same time. And often, so they'd fall out of the ring and then what they'd do is they would start punching each other, but all the way back to the change rooms. I'd literally like trade blows while shuffling back to the change rooms. 
<laughs> I'd like to and see something like that. Place. Well, when we do the when we do the AFL edition, it's like if the players are fighting, the crowd can like you know we hold, you can like you probably use your phone. We see two players fighting. We all like hit a button and we can nominate those guys to take it outside, and they have to like scrap. Like two WWF wrestlers trading blows all the way out into the car park. Like the rule is they're not allowed to stop punching. Like they have to keep punching. <laughs> yeah, you're allowed to outside. take it outside, but you have to keep punching the entire way out of the <laughs> Oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> Like, remember when uh, Alistair right, Lynch when... weren't bananas on uh, on Shane Wakeland and just started throwing those haymakers? <laughs> Imagine if we got like five more minutes of that. It'd be amazing. Um, all right, here we go. Uh, we're nearly done Sorry. with the, 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 the rest of Rollable. it. Oh, by the way, rollable uh, spoilers <laughs> coming up for the ending of the movie. Um, all right. Uh, the crowd uh, become more subdued and the game devolves into a gladiatorial fight. Jonathan is soon the only player left on Houston's team while a skater and a biker remain from New York. So it really is like last man standing style to the death. Yeah. After a violent struggle in front of Mr. Bartholomew, Jonathan dispatches the skater and takes the ball. The biker charges, but Jonathan counters, knocking him to the floor. He pins the biker down and raises the ball over his head and pauses. <gasps> Jonathan gets to his feet and painfully makes his way to the goal, depositing the ball inside and scoring the only point. Jonathan skates around the track in silent victory. The coaches and fans of both teams chant his name, getting louder as he skates faster and faster. Mr. Bartholomew exits the arena hurriedly. The film ends on a freeze frame of Jonathan's face. Now read the Chris Klein version. <laughs> <laughs> uh we should uh start to finish up um yeah what do you got you got stuff to plug right oh yeah my um new tour we legal uh, about my trip to wagga wagga uh is uh, currently now on sale in uh, melbourne adelaide uh and brisbane uh and uh sydney will be later in the year uh, oh, I have some gigs, some trial shows. I'm going to do a week of trial shows of it, some work in progress shows uh, at the Brunswick uh, Picture House, uh, which is in Brunswick Heads. Uh, so if you're up in the Northern Rivers or you're up in uh, Byron Bay or around that area for your holidays in January, I think I, that's January the 8th to the 15th or something. And that's a really beautiful uh, venue up Brunswick, Brunswick Heads way. And that's where... Uh, my uh, sort of working out what's going to be in the show and not what's not going to be in the show is going to be happening there as well. So uh, get tickets. They're all going pretty quick. In fact, Adelaide, I would say um, I am doing a limited amount of shows due to my radio commitments and they are selling really, really quickly. Uh, we're selling about uh, double as many tickets as this side at this time of the year as we had this time of the year last year. So I would say if you're in Adelaide and you want a ticket to the show, get in uh, as quickly as possible. Cool. Um, I'm not going to be anywhere. I'm not doing anything. Uh, no, that's not true. Uh, I'm going away. I'm taking a little holiday. Uh, so uh, uh, we're going to take a little break, we think. Um, if we yes. have the chance to record an episode, basically I'm jumping around. Uh, I'm jaunting, Will. I'm jaunting around the UK and parts of Europe over the next few weeks and a little holiday. Um, I don't know what my Wi-Fi is going to be like. So we've said that we'll take a little break until the new year. Uh, but... If the opportunity arises where the time zones line up, because it, it will then now be three different time zones for me, you, and Michael. Like at the moment, it's just two different time zones because Michael's the same as me. But it'll be an amazing coordination if we can pull one off. But making any promises, we have some other stuff that we can leave under the Tofop tree for you in case that we don't get a chance to talk again before then. Uh, what else do we have to plug? Oh, the uh, Patreon page. Yep. If you go to patreon.com forward slash Tofop, Best way you can support the show. We do have ads and stuff, but as you can tell right now, we have no sponsor. So in those gaps where we don't have to sponsor, the Patreon page is um, how we pay Mike Cal and James Fosdyke and how we keep the show running. So if you feel like you've got some money to spare, uh, you know, look, 
we're not taking income from it. It's not so Will and I can buy our second house. Uh, it's so we can get the show running. So if you do have a few dollars to share, there's lots of bonus content on there. Comics, photos, uh, advanced ticket sales, podcasts. It is worthwhile. Yeah, it's, there's some really cool stuff there. It's one of those things where if you, you know, chuck us a couple of bucks a month uh, for the podcast and you enjoy the podcast, it helps us. You know, Foz does all the great art and he does some really great uh, original content for the Patreon site as well. So I do think it is, you know, value for money. And as Charlie said, it's not uh, money that we're taking out of it. It's just stuff that helps us uh, keep the lights on at Tofop Towers. And you can go to Facebook to check out our page. Uh, there's actually a, a group. If you want to join a community, a TOEFOP community, like-minded people discuss episodes and share photos and all that kind of stuff. It's called the Tea Room, as in like Mr. T, Tea Room. Uh, you can find it on Facebook. It's got our logo there. That's, that's, your, that's, your, brand, that's your brand assurance. <laughs> when you see two hands gripping <laughs> a microphone, that's the right page. You don't want to go to the wrong yeah, Tea Room. It's, it's like the opposite of quality assurance. Yeah. <laughs> Just a th thumbs down. <laughs> we're on twitter uh will anderson uh, what are you you're uh, uh, will anderson what's your thing again at will underscore anderson and at, at will Arius on instagram which i'm trying to use a little bit more and i'm at cx clawson on twitter and charlie underscore clawson on instagram so anything more to say we're done let's take this outside <laughs> <laughs> i'm charlie clawson i'm will anderson